numbers. We live by numbers. We track and count and measure everything. And sometimes we think the only numbers that really matter are the big ones. But it's the single digits that make the difference. The Bible says that heaven rejoices with the number one. Yeah, heaven rejoices each time even one person comes to know Jesus. We pastors dream about big numbers, and we should. But a daily focus on one meaningful interaction for Christ, that's the true difference maker. One friend, one family member, one co-worker, one person at a time. We want to see God move in our nation like we have never seen before. But it all starts with one. I've got my one. And now I'm challenging you and your church to join us and to find yours. Because ultimately, the only number that really matters is one. Who's your one? Who is your one? And as that video so beautifully portrayed, we can be overwhelmed by the task of reaching the world for Christ. And you can think, what can I do to make a difference? You can reach one. One person that God has put on your heart. One person that God has brought into your path that you can invite to church, that you can have a gospel conversation with, that you can pray for and look for that opportunity to present the gospel and to help them come to faith in Christ. One. I'm going to be preaching about that this morning. I invite you to do two things right now. The first is to make sure you pick up one of these prayer guides. They're on either side of the platform and in the vestibule. It's a 30-day prayer guide, so you will do two days today. It started yesterday. It'll go right through the, uh, the end of February, right into the first day of March. But I want all of us as a church to be praying together about this very important question. Who is your one? And what will you do to make an eternal difference in his or her life? Please pick this up and use it. There's also a digital version that we've made available through email and the church website. Uh, if you're like me, I'm still just old-fashioned enough that I like a hard copy in my hands. Um, so I'm going to take this one home with me, and I hope that you'll do that as well. The other resource that's available at the Family Life Center is a, a family devotional that goes right along with this. It goes right along with everything we'll be talking about on Sundays for the next a couple of months. Uh, there's four home Bible sessions in here, family worship times in here. You can do them once a week this month. You can space them out and do once every other week through the whole campaign. But I invite you to pick one of these up in the atrium and use it with your family to help drive this home, to help your children take ownership of this question. Now, the other thing I'm going to point out right now is if you'll take your order of worship and remove the bookmark that's in your order of worship. Okay. On this bookmark, it's got the 30 days of Scripture that goes with the prayer guide. So you can also use that. Keep it in your Bible. You can read those passages from your Bible. Um, and there's a place both on this and on this card for you to write the name of your one. One person in your life that you at least suspect may not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They probably don't go to church. That you think that, you know, that's somebody I need, to, I need to pursue them. I need to find out, do they know the Lord? And if they don't, I need to help them come to faith in Christ. And somebody might already be on your mind right now. So I want to invite you to write their name on both of those lines. I'm not going to take up this, this card, this part that tears off. I want you to take that home 
and put it on your bathroom mirror, stick it on your desk at work, put it on the dashboard of your car, wherever you need it, to see that person's name and be reminded every day to pray for that person and to watch for that opportunity to engage them in a gospel conversation. Right, so I want to ask you right now to do that. Just take a moment right now. If you know that person's name, write their name down. If you don't, just take a moment and think about that. And I want to lead us in a brief time of prayer for our one. Let's pray together. Father, every one of us are here. Every one of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, we are here because someone took the time to tell us about you. None of us just came to faith in you on our own. We had a family member, a friend, a preacher, someone at church, a co-worker, who took the time to share with us the good news of Jesus Christ. And by your spirit, we had the faith to believe. And we're saved by your grace. God, you've put people in our path. Individuals in our life, in our circles, whatever those circles may be that we move in, there are people there that need to hear that same good news. Father, I pray you would give us a fresh burden on our hearts for those men and women, those boys and girls. God, I pray that you would break our hearts for their eternal destiny so that we would prioritize without giving it a second thought sharing with them the good news that has made an eternal difference in us. God, for those in this room that maybe are struggling with trying to think of who that one person might be, I pray you would reveal that name to their heart and mind. And I pray that you would give them ample opportunities in the coming weeks to invite them to church, to have a gospel conversation with them. And God, we hope and we pray for that goal of them coming to faith in Jesus Christ. We ask this all in the name of Christ, our Lord and Savior, and all God's people said, Amen. We're prone to think of one as small and insignificant, are we? I mean, who wants just one cookie, right? Or who can eat just one Pringles, right? What's the value of one dollar? But the Bible consistently speaks of one. One pearl of great price. One wayward sheep. One lost coin. One prodigal son. God's people often overlook the value of one. One invitation to church. One message of hope. One neighbor. One coworker. One classmate, one friend. Can you name one person who has come to faith in Jesus because of your invite, because of your witness? One. Now, the only thing that makes that one invite, the only thing that can make our one gospel conversation and our one witness worth anything is the power of the gospel. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about how good we are or what we know. It's all about Jesus and what His good news can do when we unleash it. Paul wrote about this in Romans 1.16. He said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, 
Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Are you ashamed of the gospel of Christ? Do you believe it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes? If you can't answer those questions with a hearty amen right now, I pray that over the next few weeks you'll be able to. Today I want to bring a simple message that explains as clearly and practically as possible the importance of reaching one person with the gospel. One. Reaching one person. Turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 1, verses 43 through 49. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Too often we focus on Philip's words to Nathanael, Come and see. That's what Philip said to him. Come and see. Now that's a powerful invitation. And it's one that I encourage all of us to make. I hope all of us are inviting people to come and see Jesus. And that might mean just inviting them to worship or Bible study. That might mean inviting them to having a gospel conversation over a cup of coffee. But I think we can all agree that Philip did not ask Nathaniel to come and see until Philip first went and found Nathaniel. Philip had to go and tell before he could ask Nathaniel. To come and see. Matthew chapter 13 verses 45 and 46. Jesus is telling a parable and he says again, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away, sold everything he had and bought it. Now you may remember that Jesus once asked the question, What good is it for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul. Well, this merchant, he found a priceless treasure. And since this is a parable, we know that 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 pearl, that pearl of great price is Jesus. So this merchant, he found Jesus. And he sold everything he had so he could have that priceless treasure. Jesus is worth giving our all for. He is the treasure, whether they know it or not, that everyone is seeking. They're looking for Jesus. But guess what? Jesus is also that merchant in the parable. And we are the pearl of great price. Because Jesus gave His all to purchase you and me. 
He gave up heaven and came to this earth. He bled and died on a, on a criminal's cross bearing your guilt and your shame. He gave His all to have you. To purchase you with so great a price. And that's true of every person you'll ever lay your eyes on and even those you'll never lay your eyes on. That is true. The question for us is how much do we value Jesus? How much do we value that one person that God is laying on our heart and putting in our path? That person at school, down the street, in your own family that needs to know Jesus. Do you value them enough to give up anything? To give up your time? Your energy? Your pride? If it means their eternal salvation... Isn't it worth it? What will it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit the souls of the people in their lives? If we want to be like Philip and bring others to see and know Jesus, if we want to be like that wise merchant who gave his all for that precious pearl, there's at least three things I think we need to do. I'm going to share these with you very briefly. The first is we need to be an intentional witness. Having gospel conversations, making disciples, reaching your one isn't going to happen by accident. It's going to require planning, effort, accountability for you to stick to your commitment. You're going to need partners to join with you in this mission. Guess what? None of us are being asked to do this alone. We may be asking you to find your one, but you are not just one. We are the body of Christ, are we not? You've got an amazing backup crew. Your pastors, your deacons, your Sunday school class, your church has got your back as you are reaching that one. And you're going to also need spiritual maturity as a disciple maker in order to persevere in this mission and point others to the life-transforming hope of Jesus. Those who accept Christ's invitation to follow Him have to accept His mission to be fishers of men and women. You see, leading others to accept Jesus as as their Lord and Savior, that is the greatest expression that you really do know who Jesus is and what He came to do. We need to be growing in that understanding. Growing in our knowledge of who Jesus is. Growing in our passionate love for Him. Because you know what? When you really love someone, when you really love something, you're eager to ask people to come and see, aren't you? Right? Those of you with kids or grandkids, you know, it doesn't take much for you to whip out that phone and start showing those pictures, does it? You know, when we experience something amazing and we're excited about something, what do we do? We put it on Facebook. You know, you get a new car, you want to show it off, or maybe you, you, uh, you, know, you remodel an old classic, and you want to take it around and show it off. When we really love something, we want to tell other people about it. So the question for us is, How in love with Jesus are we? Because the more in love with Jesus we become, the more willing we are to intentionally be His witness and share with other people with passion how much we love Him. Amen? Doesn't that make sense? That means that like Philip, we must, number two, go and tell. You can't be an intentional witness if you're not willing to go and tell. 
the heart of this whole Who's Your One campaign is for each member of our church, for each of us, to reach one person who doesn't know God, who is far from Christ, who's not plugged in to the kingdom. I want to break that down into three challenges this morning. And these are three things that are easy for everyone in this room to do. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to have a seminary degree. All you have to have is Jesus in your heart. Just like the fishermen, they didn't have much, but they had Jesus. So here's the first challenge for us for the next eight weeks. Okay, The first challenge is for us to simply invite one unchurched or unsaved friend to come to Sunday school and worship with us. Just one invitation. Y'all, this is easy stuff. You don't have to dive in too deep into spiritual matters to ask someone a simple question. Do you go to church? Did you go to church yesterday? Do you have a church home? And if the answer is no, guess what? You say, well, let me tell you about my church. I'd love for you to come to Sunday school and to worship with me one Sunday. How about next Sunday? I'll come pick you up. I'll meet you in the parking lot. It's simple. And this is, this is, this is, let's just think about the numbers. I talked a little bit about this in Sunday school with the big breakfast. Let's say that on any given week, there are 300 active members of our church. Uh, maybe not today. I don't know who sat on that side last week that was so deathly ill, but apparently, you know, they just wiped out the whole side of the church over there. But let's just, 300 is a nice number. Let's say that on any given Sunday, there's 300 active members of our church. I mean, I'll be here that Sunday, but let's just say there's about 300 of us that are regular attenders. And let's say that each of you knows at least one person who doesn't go to church. I think that's a pretty safe bet because in my demographic research from my doctorate last year, I discovered that less than a quarter of people in McDuffie County, less than 25% are in church on any given Sunday. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of people within a 10-minute drive of our church that aren't in church today. So let's say that all 300 of us ask one person to come to church. Now let's say that half of us are successful in getting that one person to come to church. Then you know what happens that Sunday? We're busting this place wide open with 450 people. Look around. How amazing would it be to see 450 people here worshiping Jesus together, hearing the Word of God taught and preached? Can you imagine what more we could do for the kingdom of God if that was the reality here? I challenge each of us to make a regular habit of inviting people to church with us. Y'all, this, inviting someone to church is a low bar. This is entry-level stuff right here. We all can do this very easily. You don't even need any training. You don't need any resources to simply ask someone to come to church with you. Now, we do have some resources. Up here on either side of the platform and in the vestibule are these little business cards that just says, you're invited. It's got the worship time, Sunday school time, Wednesday night time. It's got the church's address, phone number, website right there. Put a few of these in your wallet or in your purse or in your truck. And when you talk to somebody about church, just pull out one of these and just hand it to them as a reminder. Inviting them to come to worship. So I hope you'll pick up some of these and make use of them. We've got 500 of them, so we've got plenty of them to go around. And you'll notice, and you've probably been wondering what the deal is up here with this shadow box. 
So, this shadow box is a way for us to celebrate and to hold each other accountable and to track our progress and how we're doing with reaching our one. So, in front of it, you'll see these three baskets of ping pong balls. Think white, invite. Okay, when you invite someone to come to Sunday school and to worship with you, come in here that next Sunday, write their name or initial on the ping pong ball, drop it in. And, and my prayer, my hope is that we'll see week after week this thing start to fill up with ping pong balls. Uh, I've got more white ones than any of them because I suspect we all can invite someone this week to come to church with us. They don't have to come for you to put their name in here. You just have to invite them. And you get to put your ping pong ball in the hole. Okay? So that's the first challenge. Can we do that? Can we invite people to come to church? Okay. I hope so. Second challenge. I challenge each of us to have one gospel conversation with someone who is not a believer, or we suspect they're not a believer, between now and the end of March. It's eight weeks. Eight weeks to invite one person over coffee to have a conversation with you. Meet them for lunch or for breakfast. Invite their family over to your house for dinner. And simply share your story. In the flow of the conversation, you could just say, you know what, I don't think I've ever shared my story with you. Would you mind if I just shared my story with you? They're going to say yes. And you just simply tell them about how you realized you needed Jesus. How you came to give your life to Christ. And what difference He's made in your life after that. Share your story. Ask them to share their story with you. Don't be preachy. Just have a conversation. See where that conversation may go. And as you do that, and you've had a gospel conversation, take a green ball. Put their initials or their first name on that ball and drop it in. Just say, this is one person that I've had a gospel conversation with. Okay? All that means is you talked about Jesus. You told them your story. That's all, all you have to do. Okay, so that's your second challenge. Now, your third and final challenge is to then prayerfully pursue that relationship with the end goal of hopefully being able to lead them to salvation. Now, this could happen naturally, or should I say supernaturally, in the course of that gospel conversation. As you're sharing that story with them, their heart may be ready. God's Spirit may have been working in them already. And as you share that story, you may see they start to cry. Or they may start asking you questions. And the conversation led by the Spirit might just end with them praying to receive Christ. That may not happen. That more than likely it probably won't happen in that first conversation. But then you pray about opportunities and you look for those opportunities to follow up with that person and have that chance, maybe in weeks, maybe in months, but that opportunity to then share the gospel with them and ask them if they would like to pray and receive Jesus. Now, we do have some resources available. One is this Three Circles Life Conversation Guide, and they're up here and in the back. And this is a great tool, a great resource for you. You can either give it to them, read it through with them. There's also an app that has this. You can just kind of swap through. Or you can just read up on this, memorize it, and just share it without having to have this with you. Either way, it works. And I'm going to be bringing a sermon in a few weeks through this. So right here, we'll all learn together 
this way of explaining the gospel easily to someone. We want to resource you. We want to equip you. We want you to be able to do what 1 Peter 3.15 says. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Now that verse says that if Jesus is in our hearts and we revere Him as Lord, then when the Spirit opens that door and we have an opportunity, what are we going to do? We're going to be ready and we're going to give them an answer. Right? We are not living in obedience to Christ if we aren't working on being prepared to give that answer. And you know what? That opportunity won't come if you're not being an intentional witness who's looking for opportunities to go and tell other people. And it's not going to happen if you're not living the kind of life that backs up your witness. Paul also said this in 2 Corinthians 3, 2-3. through He said, You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you're a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. You know, as great as a gospel conversation guide is, the greatest resource you have for sharing Jesus is you. It's your story. It's your witness. That doesn't mean you have to be perfect and have it all together, but it means that you're real and you're honest and you're striving to live out your faith in front of others. Long before anyone's going to read a gospel tract, they're reading you. They're listening to what you say. They're looking at how you live your life. And my goal, our goal, for these next eight weeks is that our church would be transformed more and more into a gospel conversation kind of people. That we will be disciples who are making other disciples. That we need to be a church genuinely burdened for our neighbors and the nations to know Jesus. And guess what? This challenge doesn't end after eight weeks. This challenge doesn't end after you get to write a name on one of these ping pong balls and drop them in. I'm done. No. When you win your one or you have that gospel conversation with your one, find another one. Move on to that other one. Think about these eight weeks like a boot camp. We're training. We're learning how to be what Jesus as the church has called us to be. And after you have hopefully, prayerfully, had that blessed opportunity. Listen, guys, there is nothing in the world like sitting down with somebody and asking them, would you like to pray and receive Christ as your Lord and Savior? And they say, yes. And you pray with them and you help them move from death to life, from darkness to light, from eternal damnation to eternal salvation. There's nothing like it in the world. It's better than your team winning the Super Bowl or the SEC championship. There's nothing like it. And when that hopefully happens for you, you get to write their name proudly on that blue ping pong ball and drop it right in here. And we'll talk about how we can get them ready for a baptism celebration at the end of of March. I would love nothing more on March 29th than to have to take the whole service to baptize people. Amen. Wouldn't that be amazing? It's doable. There's no reason we can't do that. My question for you is this, and this is a question to keep in your heart and mind. When we have that baptism celebration on March the 29th, will there be anybody in that baptistry because of me? Ask yourself that question. Will there be anybody up there because I 
took the time to invest in them, to invite them, to be intentional with them. Now, before we finish up today, and ask, and I ask you to join me in making a commitment to do these three things, there's one final thing we have to do, and that's to recognize and repent of our excuses. And I'm just going to hit the high points on these, okay? The truth is the vast majority of Southern Baptist churches are plateaued or declining. Ours is plateaued. We're baptizing less and less people every year. Why is that? It's because we're not doing the three things I've talked about. It's because we have excuses and failures. And what might those be? One is spiritual apathy. When we fail to obey Jesus, we become desensitized to the Spirit. We become apathetic toward those who are far from Christ. As I said earlier, if we have a diminished desire to share Jesus with others, that probably means we're not as close to Jesus as we think. Our relationship with God has grown cold and stale. We aren't revering Christ as Lord in our hearts. Spiritual apathy. If we'll put that up on the slide. Spiritual apathy. That's the first excuse. Second one is this. Christian, and I put that in quotes, universalism. This is a growing opinion among some. And sometimes this view affirms, says that Jesus isn't the only way because he can be found in other good religions. It's a subtle belief that somehow good and sincere religious folks, no matter what they believe, are going to somehow make it into heaven outside of true Christian conversion. That is a lie straight from the pit of hell. Listen, if there was any other way for you and I to be saved, why would the Son of God have endured the shame and the pain of hanging on that cross and having the very wrath of God the Father poured out on Him? Why would Jesus have gone through that if all you had to do is sincerely believe something to be saved, right? Acts 4.12 says plainly that salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Then Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now this belief, this Christian universalism, is, is often driven by a misplaced desire to be tolerant and inclusive. In one sense, yes, the gospel is intolerant. The one true God insists there can be no other gods before Him. He is a jealous God. And the message of the New Testament is that there is one narrow way to come to God the Father. And that is through Jesus Christ. But the gospel is also inclusive. Because Jesus said, whosoever will may come. Paul said, in Christ there is not Jew or Greek, male or female, slave nor free. You're just in Jesus or you're not in Jesus. Anybody is free to come and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. A third excuse that kind of goes hand in hand with this one is a disbelief in hell. Just as the belief that Jesus is only one of many ways undermines our sense of urgency for placing faith in Christ alone, this lie from Satan's mind undermines the very need for a Savior at all. Why do I need to repent of my sins and trust in Jesus if we're all going to end up in heaven in the end after all? What's the point? Right? I mean, why not have a little bit of fun down here and live like the devil if we're just getting up in heaven anyway, right? Why try so hard? Why all of this? But the truth of the Bible is all of us will die and face the judgment and the wages of sin is death. 
And by that it means eternal separation from God. And Jesus is the only way to escape the wrath of a holy God. The fourth excuse we often give is that we're too busy. Too busy. You know, the unchurched, the unsaved, they need us to tell them about Jesus, right? This needs to be the top of our priority list. What priority do you give to reaching the lost? As I asked earlier, can you name one person who's come to faith in Jesus because of your witness, because of your invitation? How many of you, like me, want to say, Lord, I don't want to go to heaven empty-handed? If I'm too busy to build a relationship with someone and share Jesus with them, guess what? I'm too busy. There's some things in my life that God does not want to be there if I don't have the time to share Christ with others. Number five, fear of rejection. Research shows that only one in four unchurched persons will be resistant to a faith discussion. Think about that. 75% of people are at least open toward hearing the gospel. And those few who are antagonistic in their attitude, they're not rejecting you personally anyway. Their anger is a reflection of something far greater in their, in their, in their life, something in their past maybe. It's just like God told Samuel. Remember when Samuel the judge you know, was ruling over Israel and they said, we want a king? And Samuel was disappointed in that. God said to Samuel, hey, look, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. So don't fear rejection. All your job is to do is to share Jesus with them. It's not up to you what they do with Jesus after that, right? They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Him. And if someone does ask you a hard question, because I think that's one of those fears that goes along with that. Why don't they ask me a hard question? Remember Philip and Nathaniel? Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? What did Philip do when Nathaniel asked him a skeptical question? He said, come and see for yourself. Come and see. If someone asks you a hard question, just answer. Read the Gospel of John and see for yourself. Come to church with me. Check it out for yourself. Statistics tell us that 96% of people who come to faith in Jesus were invited by someone else to come and see. Your friends, your co-workers, your classmates, your relatives... They're going to come simply because you ask them to. They'll at least come and see. They'll at least have a conversation with you. That's all we're asking you to do. Number six, we make the excuse that, well, I just don't have the skill. I don't have the knowledge to witness. Well, you know, witnessing is a discipline, which means it can be learned. And as I said, we're providing you with resources and with training, practical ways to help you share your story and engage others with the gospel. But the most important things you already have. If you're a Christian, you've got the Spirit of God living inside of you. You've got the Word of God in your hands and hopefully in your hearts. You've got the people of God standing at your side. Those are the greatest resources you need. Again, if He could call those simple fishermen to become fishers of men, He can do the same with you and me. And the final excuse is simply, it's more of a failure. It's a failure to invite. When was the last time you invited an unchurched person to church? To meet them and bring them here with you, or to meet them out in the parking lot. It's a simple gesture that can have a significant outcome. 
Research says that 20% of believers who were surveyed, 20% of believers would invite another believer to church. Okay, we're talking about a Christian inviting another Christian to church. Maybe it's a new neighbor that's moved down the street and you get a sense that they probably are church-going people. Maybe it's somebody at the office that you know used to go to church they're not going to church anymore. You know they're a Christian. Only 20% of us are going to invite them to church. That means 80% of us are going to do nothing. And if they're not Christians, if they're unbelievers, only 2% of Christians surveyed said they would invite them to church. That means 98% of us won't even invite a lost person to come to church. Now, on the other hand, 85% of non-Christians have said when asked that if someone they know invites them to church, they'll go. So think about that. Only 2% of us are inviting, but 85% of those being invited said they would come. That's a crime. That's a travesty. Church, we've got to do better. We've got to regain our passion for the lost. We've got to become freshly burdened for those who are far from God. Will you be intentional in your witness? Will you get up and go and tell others about Jesus? Will you repent of your excuses? I'm going to ask you this morning to make a public decision. There may be ping pong balls and LED lights up here, but this isn't a game. This is not a game. This is life and death. This is stuff about eternity here. So I want us to go on record today. And hold each other accountable. That's what this is up here for. It's a way to hold ourselves accountable. How many of you today will make a public, unashamed commitment to be intentional, to invite one to church, to have one gospel conversation, to pray and look for that opportunity to lead one person to saving faith in Jesus Christ? You can't save them. That's between them and God. But you can share Jesus with them. If you'll commit to those three things over the next two months, I'm going to ask you to stand up. No pressure. If you don't stand up, that's fine. I'm not going to come, you know, griping at you after worship or anything like that. But if you can say, David, I, I will make a commitment. It's going to be hard. I'm going to have to work at it. But I'm going to invite one person to church. I'm going to have a gospel conversation with somebody and just share with them my story. And I'm going to pray and look for that opportunity, hopefully, to be able to lead them to faith in Christ. And you know what? When it comes to that third one, if you need some help, there are people that you could say, hey, will you go with me to talk to so-and-so? I would go with any of you to talk to anybody if it meant helping them come to faith in Christ. Again, you don't have to do this alone. We're in it together. But if you can commit to doing your best in the power of God over the next two months to do those things, I want you to stand up right now. Amen. I really was kind of afraid that nobody would stand up. Not really. Y'all, we can do this. We've got the Spirit of God in us. We've got the best news the world has ever heard. It just takes us being intentional to go and tell. Now, there may be some here today 
And if you've not stood up, feel free to stand up. There may be someone here today that you are somebody's one. You're a name that needs to be written on that blue ping pong ball and dropped in there because you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you'll make somebody's reaching their one really easy this, this month. Maybe you need to come right now and say, you know what, David, I'm not a believer. I've never prayed and given my heart and life to Jesus. I didn't know I had to do that. I've been going to church. I'm trying to be a good person. I didn't know that I needed to intentionally turn from my sin and put my trust in Jesus. I invite you to come right now and know the grace and the goodness of God. Would you come?